0: This episode contains descriptions of violence, so please use discretion.
1: My father's name was Mir Murtaza Bhutto. Sorry, I get really, I get really, it gets really funny because my last name is not is not easily said in English. Okay. My father's name was Mir Murtaza Bhutto. My fa, okay, I just want to do this the, the, the bikes anyway. My father's name was Mir Murtaza Bhutto. Bhutto, yeah. My name is Zulfakar Ali Bhutto, uh, I was born in Damascus, Syria and I was raised in, in Pakistan by uh, a Lebanese mother and a Pakistani father. And the Pakistani side of my family has been very actively involved in Pakistani politics since the, since the 60s really. Um, my grandfather, Zulfakar Ali Bhutto, who shares my name, um, was Prime Minister from 1972 to 1977. And my aunt Benazir Bhutto was prime minister um, on several occasions uh, through the '90s.
0: Zulfi was raised in a dangerously political family. Born into one of the most powerful dynasties in the world, he is a Bhutto, and many believe he's the heir to a political throne in Pakistan. And this gives him a unique and incredibly complicated relationship with home. Yeah. Zulfi carries a family name and legacy he did not choose, but that defines much of who he's supposed to be and what's expected of him. For many of us third culture people, figuring out what and where home is can be really difficult. We're from many places, or our identities feel crafted by really different things. And this is as true for Zulfi, but not quite in the same way. Zulfi knows he is Pakistani because the blood of his family has watered the roots of Pakistan's history for the past few decades. But when death, duty, and dynasty keep you tied to a place, does that make it any easier to know who you are? I'm Naima Sakande, and this is Third Culture.
1: I trust. I trusted no one. <laughs> uh, growing up, I there were very few people who I thought were my friends. And it's funny. It's not the fame. It's not the same kind of fame you'd expect from like a Hollywood star. It's a different kind of fame where people, people know of your family legacy and your family name, and it's just kind of cool that they bumped into you, and that they want to take a selfie with you. If we were going to make parallels. Between, between east and west, um, <laughs> I wish I was at Beyonce level because she's got some great music, but but it's more a Paris Hilton thing. <laughs> My sister and I were both born in exile, um, me in Damascus and and her in, in Kabul, and we were definitely, you know, we were definitely taught that even though we were in these places, we were in foreign land. You know, we were, not, we were not on home turf. And I was raised on words like freedom, revolution, like very leftist terminology, very leftist catchphrase. And I would say them like, like a child talks about like toy cars. You know, like it was these words I just knew. These words I just knew and I didn't really know what they meant either. I just knew that they were things I would say and it would make people happy. And my father especially. How he used to talk to my sister about Pakistan... About this, he, you know, framed it like it was this magical promised land. And everywhere else was temporary. A a, a brief stop. He really felt, I don't know, this sort of magical pull towards it. To the point where I remember he, I mean, even I still remember this. He asked someone to bring water from the Indus River and mud from the Indus River just so he could put it in his office and look at it. My grandfather was prime minister from 1972 to 1977. He was trying to pursue a socialist policy in Pakistan. He had put into effect a committee that was set up to nationalize big industry. All of these policies were upsetting a lot of people, I guess you could say. Sort of one thing that sort of tipped the scale was that he had placed himself, he had handpicked himself, as his chief of army staff, Ziaul Haq. Now, he didn't realize that Ziaul Haq had ambitions <laughs> beyond beyond what he could have maybe imagined. So yeah, in 1977, there were re-elections. And there had been huge accusations of rigging on the part of my grandfather's party, the Pakistan People's Party. And at this point, Ziaul Haq had instigated the coup and my grandfather's house which is still my house in Pakistan um, was raided and they arrested him in his bedroom with his wife you know in the middle of the night and at that point while in jail they had set up a tribunal to investigate charges of corruption and murder and so the court made the decision to execute him I mean it's kind of it's kind of interesting there's only one executioner in Pakistan and he's actually apparently so he says the son of the person who hanged my grandfather I think through my life I've grown up very much used to people creating myths around especially my grandfather's legacy and I think for me It was was always presented to me as a huge injustice, obviously. But my grandfather's memory, I think, was never truly allowed to be mine. I think my grandfather, especially his memory, his legacy, his image in my head, I always had to share with many, many people who loved him a great deal. For my father, I'm sure it was, you know, my father, and my uncle, I mean, they were, you know, my, well, my uncle was, I think, finishing his undergrad and my, my father was doing a, a master's in Oxford. And he, he was trying to finish his master's while campaigning for his father's life. And I think for them, I mean, that was a huge, huge shock to the system. And they, I think, felt a tremendous amount of guilt in believing that they had to follow his legacy and avenge him. And that kind of feeling is something that I can only, I mean, I can barely begin to imagine.
0: I think in some ways, all of us have family stories or myths that are powerful and can define some of how we act. Granted, not many of them are as dramatic as Zulfi's, but these myths are often an important part of what our identities are built on. Zulfi never met his grandfather. He died before he was born. But the story of his life and his abrupt death echo around not just his family, but the whole of Pakistan. It's left a legacy of injustice that in some ways began the Bhutto saga. Following the execution, it became impossible for close relatives to remain in Pakistan, and so Zuri's father, Murtaza Buto, was exiled from the country.
1: Exile did not mean that they were safe, especially when my father's brother, my uncle, was killed in the middle of exile, while they were in exile. Every night my father would look under the bed just to see if there was anyone there. So I think for my father the idea of being in exile meant he was he was just constantly waiting. And yeah, and, every, and we were all waiting with him. <laughs> I think for my father, what had started this um, process of moving back to Pakistan was the death of President Ziaul Haq. And he was killed in what was called a plane crash, but really the plane blew up in midair. We got a call in Damascus from somebody saying that Ziaul Haq had died and And it's a terrible shame to celebrate someone's death, but i but I think the family celebrated um a lot, and it was it was a a huge sigh of relief because people thought that that meant it was over,
0: but it wasn't over while he was in exile. Zulfi's father, Murtaza, kept campaigning against al Haq to avenge his father's execution. so in order to make it impossible for him to return to Pakistan. Zia haq opened several court cases against him and sentenced him to death in his absence. So this meant that if he tried to return, he'd be arrested and would risk the death penalty. But when Zia haq was killed in 1988, Murtaza thought he could finally head home. His sister, Benazir Bhutto, Zulfi's aunt, had become prime minister, and he thought that meant she would have the charges against him dropped. But she didn't. And as you can imagine, this caused some tension. But finally, after 16 years in exile, Zulfi's father was impatient.
1: She had come into Pakistan and became prime minister, I believe, in 1988. And it wasn't until 1993 that he said that, you know, I ha- I just have to go. The cases were still there. And he said, I just have to go. He was very impatient. So he actually... Contested election, uh, Pakistani elections, for a seat in the provincial parliament from Damascus. And he won a seat in the provincial parliament. So the three of us, my mother, my sister and I, had gone ahead of my father to file his nomination papers for election. And I think that was the first time I had ever gone to Pakistan. And that may have been the first time my mother had ever gone. In fact, I think that was the first time all of us had ever gone. So he won and, and he, had, he said that, you know, he was coming back to Pakistan. I think his plane was even barred from entering Pakistani airspace. And when it did land in Karachi, we were all waiting for him at the front of the airport. Many people were waiting for him at the front of the airport. But he was arrested at the airport and taken out the back. I remember us going to visit him in prison um, and we'd bring food from home, because obviously, you know, prison food. I remember I would just, I had a great time visiting him in, in prison. I would i would run around, I, you know, we would play games. He, I mean, I'm a vegetarian now and I don't believe in killing animals, but at the time one game was to swap flies with a rubber band because there were so many flies. Uh, <laughs> He was so silly as a person. He had no ego. I, I made up this dance as a child that, and I, I saw it on an episode of um, Top Cat, Top
0: Cat. <laughs> it was a it was a
1: it was a Hawaiian dance. Um, I must have been like five.
0: And
1: at the end as the song. I would say cha 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 and like move my bum to the cha 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 cha, and he would do it too
0: cha cha cha
1: in front of guests like in front of like like guests (laughs) you know people that were not in our family and I think maybe perhaps in some way my father knew he didn't have much time with us so as happy as he could make things he would he knew that it was very likely that his life would be cut short So Karachi in the 90s was a city that was very torn apart, you know, I I mean the roads were literally on fire, there were constantly riots, there were constantly gunfire. It was a time when you just didn't know if someone was celebrating or killing someone. You know, you'd hear the bullets and you just weren't sure. And there were target killings all over the city by policemen. My father was released because from what I know, there was a lack of evidence that could be provided. And he was also a sitting member of parliament. Um, so they couldn't just keep him there. He was speaking out a lot against the government and police action. And this was Benazir's government that was killing many, many people. He was, he was being very vocal about very anti-police statements, you know, anti-police violence, anti-police in general, anti-police corruption, anti-rangers. I just, I remember one evening, he went to, uh, it was in East Karachi to open a YMCA. It was nighttime, it was dark. And I remember my sister and I were watching, we were watching this like 1960s TV show called Lost in Space. And it would would play on reruns on this channel in, in Karachi. And I remember hearing gunshots, very close to our house and I I remember my sister sort of getting up taking me by the hand and rushing to my mother's dressing room which had no windows and she made me lay on the floor with her I remember saying to my sister don't worry it's just fireworks and um The firing sort of subsided for at some point, but we still didn't know what was happening. We weren't allowed to leave our house. Um, We had guards in our house, and they were told to go inside the gate, all the guards, so there would be no witnesses. And obviously, we were very scared. And my sister had called the prime minister's house, because my aunt was prime minister at that time. And she heard crying in the background. It was Benazir's husband, Zardari, who had picked up the phone. Asif Zardari. And she said, I want, I want to speak to my aunt, I don't want to speak to you. Because we don't know what's happening. We can't leave our house. He said to her, don't you know what's happened? And she said, no, of course not. And he said, your father's been killed. Uh, and I still remember. I still, I still remember she had dropped the phone, and she was crying so much. And I remember being at the front of our house, and for a while we didn't know what hospital he was in. But he was taken to a hospital that was so close to our house. I was told he had been shot four times but he could still stand up and walk to the ambulance and in the ambulance the police had fired the 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 death blow they shot him in the mouth I think my mother was trying to convince my sister not to go to the hospital I'm not really sure what was happening but she was screaming and crying I mean they had got I was I was actually left at home and they had gone to the hospital to sit by his bed and he was still alive but he just wasn't conscious and his 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 the, the 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 bullet into his mouth had severed his 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 tongue, um, and he was losing a lot of blood. He, um, yeah, and there was nothing much that they could do at that point. Um, and my father died in the hospital with my mother and my sister with him, and I think it's good they didn't take me in many ways. I think maybe all these lovely wonderful memories might have left my head, had that been the last thing I saw of him. I was not allowed to see his dead body either when the funeral was happening. I was very much hidden from it. I was just taken upstairs, and I was watching Yogi Bear <laughs> on Cartoon Network. Um, and I still, I still remember not knowing what was really happening. No one had told me he had died until, until some point in the afternoon during the funeral, and they didn't know how to tell me, my family. Um, so I believe it was my sister's. Uh, principal at the time um, who they had asked to tell me and they were all around and I remember he I still remember he looked me in the eye and, and he said um, he said you know your father's not here anymore he's gone to heaven sorry. And that's when I knew. But I still didn't know what it meant a very long time I remember everything I remember them telling me I remember the funeral but we had to um airlift his body I was in the helicopter there were people all around grabbing on and the helicopter had actually lifted off the air and somebody was still holding on to it he refused to let go um and they had to like go back down. <laughs> we had to go back down so he would, so that somebody would finally convince him to stop holding on. I I I I do remember going to my father's grave, but I remember people would take pictures of me while I was praying at my father's grave on their on their mobile phones and I would not hide that I was angry. And of course they'd feel shy. They'd suddenly realize what they had done. Because the thing is we're not once once you once you enter the realm of public figure, there is no such thing as feeling sad or sorry. You know, there's no such thing as believing that this person was a father to a son. Um, you know, a parent to a child, whatever. And people can get very, very cruel and obnoxious. (laughs) But that experience of never having had a moment with my father at his grave, me and him, um, is just something I've had to get used to. The question of who had orchestrated my father's murder, his assassination, has really ripped the family apart. Um, In the sense that my aunt, Benazir, was prime minister at the time. And um, according to um, the testimony of the court, the order to assassinate my father came from the highest rank possible. Now there are rumors as to say how these orders were given. Some people say the order was given as a letter saying to make sure he doesn't do any more trouble, make sure that he remains quiet. Make sure that you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily say murder, but might as well have. So, yes, I mean we 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 did we do believe that she was very much involved in my father's murder. And we do believe that. Especially her husband, Asif Zardari was very much involved in my father's murder. After my father died, my mother was very against the idea of entering into politics. She had never, I mean, she wasn't doing politics. <laughs> she had suddenly found herself in this situation. And she waited 40 days. And she finally, under a lot of pressure, under a lot of sense of responsibility, took on leadership of the party of my father's party my mother was working very hard to just make sure that we were happy uh, and to make sure we were safe but there were other people in her party that wanted to see us become little tools little little um treats for the public you know they would see my sister and i and then and that would be like you oh, your future leaders Your future leaders, one of whom is six and your future leaders, one of whom is 14 and your future leaders who have lost so much and who are going through such trauma. (laughs) I, I could track my aging process through posters and I was always made to be shown as like a king or a successor, sometimes even a saint. I was portrayed as a saint in these posters but they're ridiculous (laughs) imagine if someone like put like a crown on you in a poster and made you like the next successor of what I don't know but something it was sort of like you know you would see yourself being made into this figure but made into a figure that was compared to martyrs and therefore essentially saying your life was for the people uh, and I grew up being told, not by my mother, because she never wanted me to think of it that way, but being told that I was next in political, in a political dynasty. But I was also next in the sense that I had to die. There were people that would say slogans like "Martyrdom is the is the is the path of the Buntos." So we so we were grown up sort of being being forced into the public eye, and you grow up with with you start growing up with senses of honor and duty that you realize are not the same as the people around you. Because the party headquarters are in our house, a lot of the core party members I see on a daily basis and I've grown up with, they're they're my family. They're the people who have been protecting me. And they've essentially kept themselves stuck to us because of a sense of loyalty that goes very, very, very strong. They want to see me lift a mantle and because they know me they do think that I'm a good candidate in some way but but they're also very protective of me so they know that they know that the political situation can be um, dangerous for us so they don't force it too much but you can see in their eyes there's a glimmer of hope but more so they want me to come back and be a Pakistani man and to take up the family business and to get married and to have children and that is something they really want to see <laughs> that is something that they are they're so desperate for they want to see we have a, a pretty wife and produce lots of babies male heirs and for the political situation to become good enough for me to enter politics
0: we'll have the rest of Zulfi's story in our next episode
1: I told my mother when I was maybe 16 um, and she was in her room reading um, and I came in, I sat down and I said, um, I'm not, you know, I am attracted, I'm attracted to other, um, to other men.
0: Third Culture is produced by me, Naima Sakande, and by Martha Snow. Becky Aston is our web developer and Jackie Lee is our designer. Special thanks to Chayla Heritage mayer for her help with this episode. If you like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and write a review, or follow us on Twitter at Third Culture Pod and Instagram at Third Culture Podcast. While you're at it, make sure you check out our website at thirdculturepodcast.org for lots of extras like photos of Zulfi and his family and while you're there sign up for our newsletter it's the best way to get news from the show and as ever please get in touch at thirdculturepodcast at gmail.com i reply to every email and i would love to hear from you until then stay you